Hey, Whitney. Yeah. You ready to review some movies? Let's kick it. Dum, 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 dum. Everybody and welcome to critically acclaimed the movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste collide. Indeed, indeed they do. <laughs> anyway, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for uh, the Rap and Bloody Disgusting. Everybody calls me Bibs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for IGN and other places as well. I am a radio show author. Ooh. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In a second. We need to talk about uh, this big change that's going on right here at this podcast feed. Big change. We, we changed into tuxedos. That's right. I we just I'm dressed very, as schlubs before, but now we're well-dressed. I am very snappily dressed. Mm. Uh, very snappily. So snappily, uh, my bow tie is a snap-on. We, we wanted to up the class of the podcast, so we changed into tuxedos. Also networks. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> for those of you who've been with us uh, on this channel when it was Cancel Too Soon, uh, don't worry, Cancel Too Soon is going to stay right here. Cancel Too Soon is our original flagship show. We're going to keep doing it. We have a lot of cool stuff planned for October. Uh, however, Whitney and I have always had a bunch of other podcasts as well, and we decided that the time was oh, come to consolidate. Oh, good golly, have we ever. So we had two other podcasts uh, on the Schmoes No podcast feed, and when they made some big changes recently, we decided the time uh, was now to move our movie review show, Critically Acclaimed, over to Cancel Too Soon and turn this uh, into not so much the Cancel Too Soon show, but into the Bibbs and Whitney network. Yeah, so you can find, uh, apart from the two-shot which is still over at the Schmoes No Network, all of our shows are now under one banner. Yes. You don't and, have to go very far to find these. And the two-shot may come in, uh, in eventually as well. But for now, it's going to stay mm. where it is. Uh, we have a really nice audience over there. We want to respect them. We want to leave something over there mm. for them to enjoy. But uh, yeah, so Critically Acclaimed is where we're going to do all of our new movie reviews. Uh we're going to do theatrical reviews, streaming reviews, TV movie reviews sometimes. Movies are movies in our estimation. Mm. Some people uh, like to mix them up and say, like, oh, we don't do streaming reviews. No, we do them all. Mm. And we watch a ton of movies every single week. And uh, so this is the place for that. We're also going to do a new uh, regular series, uh, which I, tentatively I'm just calling it We've Got Mail. Just so it's clear, uh, but we're gonna we, people like it when we do letters episodes mm. or when we answer letters in our uh, podcast. So we decided to turn that into a whole show. That's yeah. R rather than take up valuable real estate in the show itself, or force you to sit through an entire show just to get to your letter, mm. just go to the letters episode and hear hear them all at once. And we're gonna try to do that every single week from now on. Mm. So uh, by all means, uh, email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be in response to our various podcasts, Cancel Too Soon, mm -hmm. Critically Acclaimed, uh, even The Two Shot. We'll talk about that there as well. You can also just talk about whatever. It is now mm -hmm. just like it is now a dedicated letters column. So if you want to talk about other stuff, we're not necessarily experts in other stuff. Yeah. But it's your time. Mm -hmm. And we'll try to answer as many letters as we can. And it should be easier to keep up with our letters because you, you we, we get a lot. Actually, we get a lot of letters. And it, just, it means a lot to us, and we want to give you your time, yeah, as well on the show. And in addition, we've you know we've talked to some of our Patreon subscribers, uh, Patreon.com/slash Critic Acclaim, uh, and they had some good ideas for future stuff we can do on this network as well, and new shows. All of the Patreon exclusive shows will remain Patreon exclusive shows mm -hmm. at least for the time being. Yes. Uh, so, for our contributors, you're still the only ones who get the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie where we review TV movies and miniseries. 
you're still the only ones who get all our yesterdays where we review every single episode of Star Trek. We have a new episode about the show, episode Miri coming up. You're the only, uh, uh, <laughs> you're the only listeners who get only the best where we review every best picture nominee. And you're the only listeners who get our commentary tracks. You're also the only listeners, uh, if you're on our top tier, you're the only listeners who get Whitney's new radio play. <laughs> That's right. For no additional cost. Our top tier subscribers just recently got a new production called The Tenth Muse. Whitney, why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Oh, The Tenth Muse. Uh, I've always been really fond of radio drama. It's just a format I fell in love with in high school. A, a friend of mine introduced me to a, a company called ZBS, and I listened to this big, epic, 10-hour-long radio program about dimension-hopping detectives in the future. It was great. Uh, I've been obsessed with it ever since, and have been writing things ever since for radio. Uh, my... Uh, my creativity got the better of me, I suppose. Hmm. So I wrote this thing called The Tenth Muse. It's a 30-minute radio drama. Uh, it's about a lesbian bar in Los Angeles. It has uh, Sappho as a character. Uh, she's just lived a long time and nobody thinks anything of it. She's thousands <laughs> of years old. And now she just runs bar back. And uh, there is a talking crab in it. And there's uh, time travel in it and all kinds of other wonderful things. Uh, it's mostly just sort of hanging out and talking about punk stuff, though. <laughs> so uh, that's available for our top tier subscribers. But if you want to get it, you can uh, just PayPal me or Venmo me, and I can email one over to you immediately. And how much does it cost? It costs ten dollars. All right, and that's uh, that's ten dollars for half an hour worth of original content With, that yeah, you full, can't get anywhere else. Uh, full cast, uh, music, sound effects, the whole schmear. Yeah. Very, very exciting, mm. and um, yeah, we're, we're just, we want to do more weird, interesting stuff. Mm. We've been podcasting for going on 10 years now, and that's not to say that we're bored or anything like that, but there's so much more we can do with the medium, yeah. and by turning this into the critically acclaimed network, we basically have the opportunity to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And we can try things. We can fail. We can come up with. <laughs> we can come up with an idea. It doesn't yeah. work. Whatever. We'll we'll give it a shot. The point is, we we don't have to run our ideas past a skeptical editor any longer. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. don't know. That doesn't sound like you know, we we would really have to sell our ideas real hard. Now we can just yeah. do it, and yeah. that's that's the fun part. So uh, critically claimed will be every week, usually on Mondays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to do our new movie reviews after the movies have come out. Uh, because, A, not everyone gets to see him opening weekend, but B, for those who did see him opening weekend, you'll be able to have a more in-depth discussion than if we were doing things in a preview status and we weren't allowed to talk about anything yeah, spoilery. Yeah. Uh, not that we're necessarily cavalier with spoilers, mm. but we don't think any, like literally everything about a movie is a spoiler. We'll warn you if it's a real big yeah twist or something like that, but we want to go in depth and we want to talk about movies at length. So Sometimes we... What we really love or hate about a movie goes to, like, a big plot reveal. Or the ending. uh, The ending can really, really matter and make or break a movie, so we need to be able to talk about that. Again, we'll we'll warn you if it's a big spoiler thing, but uh, that's the kind of show this is if you're new to Critically Acclaimed. Also, if you're new to Critically Acclaimed, we have a very specific rating system (laughs) uh, where uh, we didn't want to do a rating system that could be, like, easily hacked for people who want to do like blurbs on things, but we do want to be clear about whether or not we like a movie because when you have a really long conversation about a movie, you're talking about the pros and the cons. It can be sometimes difficult at the end of the day to decide. Well, did they like it? Mm-hmm. So we review our movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. The <laughs> lowest you can possibly get is a C minus. That is below average. It could be way below average, mm-hmm. but it is below average. 
Most movies get a C. C is about average. There's good, there's bad. It, it might be, for you, if you're the target demo, it might just be kind of meh. Yeah. And then C plus is above average, which means mm. probably you should go see it. Uh, it might even mean it's an all time classic. It's just way above average. <laughs> um, is there anything else we should tell people about critically acclaimed if they're new to the show? Oh well, you're you're William. Uh, I'm Whitney. You'll suss out our tastes, our individual <laughs> tastes, pretty soon. We do have different approaches to film. We do uh, agree, maybe sixty five percent of the more than half of the time. I think we I think we agree for relatively often, but we don't always agree for the same reasons. Yeah. like our takeaways and our interpretations of films can be very different. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll have, we have conversations regardless, even if we agree. It's not mm. just like, I liked it. Cool. Me too. Moving on. That's boring. But that's not, that's not a review. No, it's not. It's just an impression. Yeah. An opinion is not a critique. Mm. Uh, an opinion is just, I liked it. A criticism requires you to actually explain mm. why. Yeah. In a way that other people can understand. Uh, we've both been film critics for a very long time. We love being film critics and we're just going to get started, uh, right away. So here we what, go. What are we reviewing this week, William? We have a bunch of movies to review this week, actually. It's the first week of October. Uh, we've got the new film Joker, uh, which is about a comedian of some kind. Uh, we've got uh, a, a new indie drama called Semper Fi. We have the sequel to the video game movie Doom called Doom Annihilation, <laughs> which most people didn't know was a thing. Uh, we've got the new Stephen King adaptation, In the Tall Grass. We've got the new Natalie Portman drama, Lucy in the Sky. We've got the new thriller, Low Tide. And we got the new Pedro Almodovar movie, Pain and Glory. Um, there's a new Pedro Almodovar film, so you don't really need to pay attention to the rest of that stuff. <laughs> Just see the... Just see the... That's the one you need to see this weekend. Yeah. But although the one everyone did see this weekend was Joker, so let's start with that. It was a big hit. Made Huge money. for Almost a, $100 million domestically. Uh, which is pretty damn good yeah. for a movie that is not a conventional genre film in a lot of ways. It is not an action movie. It is not a, a sci-fi blockbuster with Batman flying around in his bat plane shooting bat bullets at people. No, but it is Batman looking concerned in his driveway. <laughs> So, uh, Joker is the uh, latest film version of the Joker. The Joker has been played by Cesar Romero. He's been played by Jack Nicholson. He's been played by Heath Ledger and Mark Hamill and Joe DiMaggio. John DiMaggio? John DiMaggio. John DiMaggio. Too many DiMaggios. That, and that was Batman Beyond. It was John DiMaggio? John DiMaggio played it, I think, um, one of the one of the animated movies. Okay. Um, Zach Galifianakis played him in the Lego Batman movie. Yep. Uh, we've seen the Joker a lot. We know the Joker. Jared Leto. The, the Jared Leto. I, yeah. I, I like Jared Leto's interpretation, even though the film he was in stinks to high heaven. Yeah. Um, that, that's what I've noticed about a lot of these, some of these uh, superhero films. Like, pe they come out, people don't like them. They get widely panned. And yet you still see the cosplay. <laughs> like, well, the cosplay is still like, good. I, I guess There's so. Like, wrong with the cosplay. It's like nobody likes Suicide Squad, but everybody's dressed as, uh, as Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, now we have... Uh, New rendition of the character. We're seeing his origin. It's actually very typical in a Batman Begins sort of way in the way the film is structured, uh, where we meet a comedian named Arthur, Arthur Fleck, who, through a series of kind of predictable fatalistic beats, will eventually turn into the clown that will fight Batman before there was a Batman. Uh, it is R-rated. Uh, it has aspirations to uh, great cinema, I use in mm. air quotes, <laughs> which whether or not you think it succeeds, that's clearly what they're going for. They're going for this Scorsesean uh, uh, crime drama, lots mm. of grit. 
Yeah. Lots of lots of uh, uh, lots of grit. grit. Yeah, yeah a lot basically, of, a lot of grit. There's a lot of grit. Um, it's got yeah, Joaquin it, Phoenix, who of course mm. is actually one of the great actors of his generation, mm. so that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and it all takes place in the 1970s, and it very it's, closely it's, evokes. It's 81. Is it 81? Yeah. Okay, that was 79. Well, but all right. Uh, it, it's at least after 78. Well, there's some anachronisms because there, yeah. there are some advertisements for Pong in this version of Gotham City, which looks like you know rundown New York of the 1970s. Yeah. Pong came out in 78, so home home consoles around 79 or 80. But then later in the film, they show like a montage of TV screens, and we see the Energizer Bunny, like that was that counted that. the big the big drum, and the Energizer Bunny didn't debut till 88. So they're kind of really that yeah, long okay. messing around. Okay, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ding them too hard for that. That's, <laughs> it like, any movie it wasn't can do so that. bad in an acronym. Any yeah. movie can do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is very specifically trying to evoke Martin Scorsese's film King of Comedy, which if you haven't seen King of Comedy, um, it's the good version of this. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of films that are the good version of this. That's true. Uh, but King of Comedy starred Robert De Niro as a guy named Rupert Pupkin, who was also an aspiring comedian, and like our hero in. Joker, mm-hmm. or anti-hero, I suppose is more accurate. Um, he dreams of being a stand-up comic, and he idolizes a talk show host in King of Comedy. The talk show host was played by the great Jerry Lewis. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Joker, he's played by Robert De Niro Robert from King Niro. of Comedy. So it's, it's like the next generation. And both films are very much about uh, the lengths to which people will go to to be seen and appreciated mm-hmm. and understood. Yeah, Arthur Fleck has... Bigger problems even than Rupert Pupkin. Rupert Pupkin can like fake normality, like he can like have a conversation with you and you might not think he's mm. dangerous to himself and others. Arthur Fleck has much more serious mental health issues. Like he's he's at the beginning of the film. There's been some concern that this film sort of like mimics a lot of the talking points of uh, some of the more dangerous incel posts you might see on 4chan, and. While it does mimic some of those, it establishes right away that he is in therapy mm-hmm. and on meds at the st- like in the, one of the first a scenes. lot of meds. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. He's taking a lot of meds. He's seeing a therapist. It's not very effective this therapy, but he at least has the help. Yeah. So it's not like he is this mentally ill, underappreciated guy lurking, like slipping through the cracks. Yeah. He's he's in the system. Yeah. The system fails him. The system fails. Because it fails most people. But, but yeah. the system simply fails. Like, they, they just end state-sponsored therapy and, and meds like during the course the movie, of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the first half of the movie is just sort of him struggling and getting beaten down by every aspect of his life. Poverty, uh, he... Also has a laughing disease. He can't help but laugh in inappropriate moments, which gets him in a lot of trouble. Uh, he even has like a little laminated card he keeps in his pocket to that effect. Mm-hmm. And he gets beaten up several times for small infractions. Basically, the, the world idea- sucks and it's S- dumping on Society him. is horrible. There's mm. a trash strike that is freaking everybody out because nobody's taking the trash up on the street. And yeah. there's these huge, like ten foot tall piles of trash and like a lot of scenes. I will say this: I think the production design is fantastic. Mm. I think the cinematography is fantastic, and like the music is fantastic. The, on a superficial the music level, music is great. On a superficial movie, yeah. level, and I'm not calling those artistic achievements superficial. I'm talking about just the movies, just the style of it. Mm. It's fantastic. It's very well. It's a very well put together production. Yeah. Problem is that it's in service of what? And the the word I keep thinking of when I was watching this movie was facile. 
<laughs> That's a good word. Where like it 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 gives the impression of being really good and having things to say, but it actually doesn't. Mm. Like okay, so Arthur Fleck is in the system and the system collapses. Okay, great. What do we have? <laughs> well, what, great. Well, you know yeah. what I mean. That's a plot point. Okay, yeah. we can. We, okay, that's a starting. point. I understand that. Yeah, that that's the starting point for a mm-hmm. conversation we can have about uh, mental health and the mm-hmm. way that uh, people become dependent on systems and those systems have responsibilities. Uh, where are we going to go with that? Literally nowhere. That's it. Yeah, that's as far as the movie gets. He has mental health issues. What are they? We don't know. He's just. It's. He's just crazy. That's kind of just what the movie. Yeah. All the movie wants um, to take it, and then. The, oh, then society fails him. Okay, what does that mean? Well, nothing really. Over the course of the film, he kills a couple of like Wall Street brokers just because they mm. try to beat him up, and then he has a breakdown and he pulls out a gun that he had on him and he kills him. And, and he just sort of goes on with his life. Like that yeah. doesn't seem like a turning point for him. Not a huge one. S- presumably, like this is first blood for him. Like he's ne- he's this is his first murder. He's never done violence before. He, that should be the moment he breaks. He's got a little bit but more he, confidence after that, but that's about as far as it mm. goes. And then in the background, people start using that. Oh, this guy dressed as a clown and killed some people who represent capitalism well we should turn that into a movement all that happens in the background i'm not saying he needs to be like leading a movement and passing out flyers but the movie isn't interested in that conversation the movie wants to use serious conversations and serious topics as a backdrop for a very simplistic villain origin story yeah 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 it's there's something really frustrating about a lot of superhero origin stories, especially ones you're really familiar with. I don't want, need to see Batman become Batman again. First of all, we had Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. We kind of dissected it now. I think We don't need to go much further. I think every Batman movie gets one brief flashback. You have less than 60 seconds to yeah. run to get through the gist of it, just mm-hmm. in case anyone is new. <laughs> and then we're dying. Mm-hmm. I actually I, liked how Tim Burton did it. Tim Burton didn't even show the origin. It was no. like a couple of quick flashbacks. Uh-huh. He was just Batman already, first scene. <laughs> but uh, because of because we know where these characters are going to end up, they're going to have a certain costume, they're going to have certain beats within their past, these are all very automated stories. They, they, we're just sort of checking off a list and kind of falling into this kind of despair-filled fatalism. It's like, mm. oh, we know that the ears are going to show up on the suit eventually. It's not exhilarating anymore to see that. I feel like we've become obsessed with the way a Batman becomes a Batman more than we are with him just doing Batman stuff. Like, we can't have a simple Batman story any longer. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. We have to, like, really dissect and un- unpack something. Uh, and now we're just doing it with the Joker, so it doesn't feel like we're doing much of anything. It's like, okay, we know he's going to put on the suit. We know he's going to be a clown who murders people. Just what needs to happen for that to happen? Turns out not a lot. Yeah. Just he's he's he breaks, he's in a clown makeup, and he murders people. All right, that's not terribly complicated. I feel like the most interesting... Um, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, but what, what I was going to say oh, is yeah. all, oh, all, all of that fatalism... Uh, undercuts anything that the style might be trying to say to us Mm. because the story is so simple Mm -hmm. and because we know how it's going to end all of the the Scorsese rip knock not rip off kind of sort of knockoff stuff. That's I think like, it's fair to call it a rip off. Kind of like, they're, they're quoting it visually. Yeah, these kinds. And of, I'm not, like, I, I, the, the there are a lot of good rip off movies. Yeah. Rip off is not necessarily that awful. It's just very upfront the, about its intentions. The, the gorgeous music and the hazy style is just a, a paper thin wrapping around this nothing story. Yeah, and this character that clearly is not being uh, explored to explore his mental illness. Mm -hmm. It's just being, it's just, we're putting him in place so he can fight Batman or be in a place where we can imagine him fighting Batman. I I, I just feel like it's a, 
it's immature, but it thinks it's mature. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very high school in that regard, mm. where like you think mm. you've seen the you think you've seen it all, man. Sure. Your illusions have been shattered, and you don't trust anything anymore. And you're full of cynicism, mm. and you're young, so you think that's wisdom. And we've all been there, at least briefly. Um, there's actually a really good. I'm going to quote uh, uh, a tweet someone did because I was just, <laughs> it was just this is the oh, best geez. review I've seen of the Joker, <laughs> and it's so it's, short oh. and it's so dense, oh. despite being one tweet because it tells you everything. Uh, this is from uh, someone named Carol Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen great films by fantastic directors be reduced to college dorm room poster movies. <laughs> A Clockwork Orange, oh. Scarface, Pulp Fiction, Fight, Fight Club. Club. Yeah. <laughs> what Joker presupposes is what happens when you set out to make a college dorm room poster movie on purpose. Yeah, you're 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 speaking to Todd Phillips. Uh, first of all, some of the things he said in the media recently are just he put his foot Dumb. in his mouth and just kept swallowing. Yeah, um, it, it kind of takes a lot of the edge off of his movie because it he's kind of revealing how little thought he put into it. Yeah, the idea that he was talking about how this movie was inspired by it's getting harder to be a comedian because you can't be afraid. You got to be afraid of offending people. So mm. what if we made a movie about that? To which a lot of people. Uh, said, have you been paying attention? Or? Even Mark Marin, who's in this movie, <laughs> got a small role. He just came in and got his paycheck and left. Uh-huh. But even Mark Marin had a very intelligent thing that someone like transcribed from his podcast, talking mm. about how no one's kicking you out for saying offensive things. Mm. We're just saying we're not interested loudly because yeah. we're not punching down for the purpose of hurting people in order to get shock laughs is mercifully out of fashion and you can still do it, but you won't get booked at big clubs and Mm. you'll have that audience. Is that what you want? Mm. It's that's a good point. So when Todd Phillips says that really shouldn't have said a damn thing, because if he hadn't said that it would be easier to look at a film in a vacuum and say, okay, this is kind of superficial, but you know, Mm. it's stylized well and Joaquin Phoenix is good. But when he says that, it's hard not to, like, all of a sudden, oh, I get it. The whole movie is impotent rage. Yeah. Not just the Joker. Mm. The movie is just lashing out in a very immature fashion while saying, look at me. Look, Mm. Ma. Watch me dive. (laughs) Even though he's not actually doing anything all that great. Mm. Also, I was very frustrated that the movie doesn't even really have the sense to commit to itself as a character piece about the Joker, the uh, what? What do you the, mean? By well, that? the plot the plot is so based on Arthur Fleck uh-huh. and his journey, right. He's, whatever he, you call he, it. He lives alone with his mom. He yeah. lives in complete poverty. Uh, There's not much in the way of plot other than just sort of the things that need to happen to him. But uh, there is a plot. The plot kicks in. The plot really kicks in, uh-huh. like about halfway through. There's yeah. some revelations, and there are things that throw him for a loop. Mm. Once you hit that stuff. Mm. Then it becomes a very contrived comic book movie. Like, so contrived. Mm. There's actually one plot point, which I won't reveal here because it's too big. It doesn't happen that late in the movie, but it's big and I don't want to ruin it. But mm. there's one plot point where you find out that Arthur Fleck might be mm. fill-in-the-blank here. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And frankly, the plot point of Arthur Fleck being fill-in-the-blank here, mm. I think would be laughed out of any other movie. Yeah, it's 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 so like it, it's so contrived and such a weird rewriting of the character that yeah, even if Zack Snyder had put that in a movie, people would just would reject this movie 
wholesale. I think if I think if Chris Nolan had put it in the movie, people would have been yeah, like, maybe, "This yeah. is this is not this is too far." Yeah, and there's some ambiguity. I've seen some. I've actually had discussions with people like, uh, "Well, was this a thing?" There's some like, and I'm like, "Actually, no." Like you watch it, all the evidence points to that actually being a thing. Yeah. Like they want to get like maybe there's maybe we can back out of it later if we want, but no, all the actual evidence in the film suggests mm-hmm. it's a thing, and it's silly. Mm-hmm. It's just silly, and not not yeah. in like a Joker way, just mm-hmm. in a way that's like I you want me to take this movie seriously. I kind of can't now. <laughs> it's so absurd that I kind of can't. You're begging us to take your movie seriously, mm-hmm. and then once you do, it kind of just falls apart under scrutiny. There's so many better films. About people struggling with mental illness, people who have been marginalized by society, people who have been failed by society, people who slip through the cracks of society and end up doing things, positive or negative, uh, that shock us and amaze us and are incredibly dramatic. Hell, a lot of them star Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> well, there, there was a film that came out last year called You Were Never Really Here, and it was, it was directed by Lynn Ramsey, and it was one of the best films of last year. Uh, without question. Mm-hmm. And that one, uh, I think, is very similar to Joker in a lot of ways. It's, so. it's about, um, if you look at it on a sort of a, a superficial level, uh, in that movie, Joaquin Phoenix plays a character who's essentially an action movie stereotype. Mm-hmm. He's an assassin for hire. He does violence for hire. He specifically is hired uh, to rescue kidnapped people. Yeah, and um, we've seen that action movie a lot. We've seen you know the Stallone, Bronson Liam Neeson version of that all the time and those are badass and fun and those are badass and fun because they're deliberately ignoring what that kind of violence does to a person. You Were Never Really Here is only about what that violence has done to him and about Mm -hmm. how living this life essentially as cult of violence has left him in this completely hollowed out suicidally depressed mind state that he cannot escape any longer. He just needs to be out of the picture. He is at the bottom of the pit and even though he can still efficiently do his job, he's still constantly teetering on the brink. Yep, there's- it's really insightful about psychology, about mental illness, about depression, and about how living at the extremes can really wear you down. Yeah. Joker is about that. But it's the kiddie version of that. It's yeah. like what a 14-year-old thinks that is. Right. In, in, uh, I, when I reviewed it, I called it baby's first nihilism. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> You're not wrong. It's, yeah, it's, you're it's wrong. like, uh, okay, you know, when, when you're, and when you're a teenager, certain things seem bigger than they are because you haven't experienced them yet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like be- death doesn't mean as much to you. So you can watch horror movies and watch people get killed really violently. And that's more exciting to you if, unless you've experienced actual death. That's true. That's also true mm-hmm. for art as well. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people for whom Joker, simply because it's based on a Batman character yeah. and because, you know, they're young, they watch a lot of superhero movies. This might be their first exposure. Mm-hmm. To serious sort of filmmaking, uh-huh. um, which I think would be kind of sad, but it's, everyone's got to start somewhere. Mm. You know, this this particular vibe, this attempt to be taken seriously and to tell a serious drama with depressing results mm. about mental illness and other issues as well. This could be a gateway to other things, but I've been frustrated by like some people just are, are unwilling to go like further than this like i someone tweeted and i wholeheartedly retweeted and recommended mm-hmm. uh the wonderful rebecca hall movie christine yeah which is also another, about another very insightful film about depression and it's actually very similar to joker in a lot of ways in that you know she's she's a reporter she a lot of the joker is about him wanting to go on television and do something extreme and the true story at the heart of christine not the john carpenter movie the more recent one uh 
is completely tragic, mm-hmm. has infinitely more sort of depth and fascinating things to say about that level of depression and loneliness and anxiety and working within a system that is designed very specifically in that case as a sort of inherently misogynistic Mm. uh, workforce designed to keep people down. Um, And I pointed out like everything Joker is trying to be Christine is does better. Yeah. And there were some people who were just like, well, why you got to put down Joker? And I'm like, (laughs) because my point is when you see better films along the same topic, Joker doesn't hold up. Uh Uh-huh. I guess if you've only seen the Joker, it might be very impressive. But once you start digging into this, hell, you look at the Master, also yeah. with Joaquin Phoenix. The, the Master, you know, with a little bit of rejiggering, could be like, what if the Joker, when he was just getting started, mm-hmm. ran into like Maxi Zeus and Maxi Zeus's like weird cult are those, of like are those actual yeah like, Maxi, comic book characters? Maxi Zeus is like a guy who thinks he's actually Zeus and he's trying to like create like a cult or whatever. As my memory serves. All right. So if, if Philip Seymour Hoffman I mean, was Maxi Zeus, yeah. the master could be a Batman. Yeah. It's here, weird. Here, here, here's the weird thing about you know living, having read comic books and living as long as I have and finding out where the comic book writers got a lot of their lore to begin with. It's weird to, as an adult, see the movies come at comic books as if the source never existed. Yeah. Uh, like... I, I, although I haven't seen The King of Comedy, I know it's a film. Oh, you I know it exists. That? Yeah, it's, so it's, good. it's one of the, one of the Scorsese's that I need to, to catch up on. It's it's really it's it's mm. gonna be it's gonna be worth it, man. It's not <laughs> it's not like oh I finally saw Kundun. Mm. It's attractively I, actually, shot. Like I haven't seen Kundun either. Kundun, I, I don't think is Scorsese's best by any margin. But like, mm. yeah, you see it. It's like ah, okay, it's not his best, but there's good stuff in it. King of Comedy. Oh, that's one of his best films. <laughs> Holy crap! I only just saw it relatively yeah. recently myself. So. It's not just that the film takes place in a world where King of Comedy doesn't exist, which is fine. I can fun. Well, it predates King of Comedy. I think it's like a year later or something like that or around the same time. All right. Uh, So that's fair. But, I mean, we, we live in this world that Scorsese has created. We're so familiar with him. That when somebody tries to plug the Joker into that, it can only feel like a contrivance. Um. And when you start to you know know what the source material of all this stuff is, you wonder well, why are we doing a comic book version of that when the original is so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see Thor the Marvel hero. I want to see a three hundred million dollar epic about fucking Thor, <laughs> like the real Thor, and yeah. and that battle of the actual gods. Something that's you know even larger and more epic than something as rinky dink as a comic book universe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I feel that way about Joker. Well, um, the other thing I think is worth pointing out about Joker is that the Joker is one of those characters who kind of mostly exists to be a counterpoint to somebody. Hmm. So when you give the Joker his own movie, there's no counterpoint. And the whole thing feels one-sided, <laughs> kind of hollow. Doesn't really, like... Yeah. It, it just basically, like, I, 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 I'm not a fool. I know the movie isn't subscribing to do the Joker's ethos. Uh-huh. But... It doesn't have a contradictory ethos to discuss. Right. So you're just sort of sitting in it, and it's like you're just having the worst possible blind date mm. with like just this <laughs> horrible person who you know is like, I just, we already ordered. I gotta get through. <laughs> I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta pay for my meal and go. I just, but oh, just shut up. Mm. Stop talking about however. No, stop. The Joker is not like I, I I don't think it's the worst movie of the year. I don't think it's a good movie though. I think it is superficially good. It's what mm. I would call, and I've called since before in other episodes, 
uh, a bad good movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, there's no, good. It's, there's it's, good. It's it's a good bad movie. No, I disagree. I think it's oh, a bad good movie. It's a bad good movie. A, yeah. a good bad movie. Or like mm. you know they say this is the best worst movie ever. Oh, it's yeah. like Troll Two or The Room, yeah. where clearly there are enormous mm. deficiencies in the production, mm. but it's entertaining perhaps in spite of itself. Mm. That's a that's a good bad movie. It's a bad yeah. movie you can enjoy. My philosophy, which I've been trying to sort of not promote, mm. but just sort of introduce people to the concept, is the inverse can be true. Yeah. There are movies that are superficially on the surface, well-crafted, mm. well-shot, well-acted, but in service of what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like Green, well, Book I, is, I, Green Book is another one of these. I, the performances are good. In service an, of an, what? An iffy or a bad message. Yeah. yeah. Bad message, just bad mm. storytelling, but like it's... The surface elements are so distracting that you mm. don't really notice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no shortage of that. And I think the Joker is right on the cusp of that. I think it's mm. too well made to completely ignore, mm. but it's also just well made enough that it's easy to ignore its many deficiencies. Yeah, and I think it's important to bring them out because this is, yeah, this is play acting at serious, <laughs> serious storytelling. Yeah, and it's just yeah. not. It's actually very superficial. Um, so anyway, we're going to move on. We review, all, we'll rate all our movies at the mm-hmm. end, but you can probably guess where we rated that one. Uh, so we unfortunately, did we see anything else that we both saw this year? Uh, no, I think week? we're all doing. We're going to like swap okay. back and forth now. All right. Well, let's. Uh, what, what do you? Well, I want to talk about the new Almodovar. Let's film. do it. Let's so, just jump um, right in. Uh, Pain and Glory is the latest film from Pedro Almodovar. Uh, you know Pedro Almodovar. He's I hope a, so. Pr- prolific and excellent filmmaker. Uh, he directed More... uh, films like Talk to Her and All About My Mother. Yeah, and... uh, all about my mother. I still think my, he, those two might be his best. Well, they're the best known because they uh, won Oscars. Until this one, I love Pain and Glory a lot. Ooh. It is uh, Pedro Almodovar making a semi-autobiographical film. It is about a filmmaker played by Antonio Banderas. Uh, he evidently he and Almodovar had a bit of a falling out and weren't talking for a while. And I don't know the details of that, mm. but uh, it's Antonio Banderas is playing a filmmaker who. Uh, is trying to get his creativity working again. He feels like he's hit sort of a slump, and he is suffering terribly. His his health is uh, is failing him. He might have some really serious ailments that have are going undiagnosed, and he constantly has pain all up and down his spine. He can barely move. Wow. Um, an anniversary of one of his early films is coming up. It's been restored by the Cinematheque, so he is being encouraged to reconnect with an actor that he had previously known. Uh, and had previously had a falling out with. So he goes to this actor's home. Uh, The actor instantly introduces him to heroin. They begin smoking together, and this kicks off in the the, uh, Antonio Banderas character uh, sort of like a reflection on his whole life on how he came to be. So he starts having flashbacks to his past when he was a young boy. His mother's played by Penelope Cruz, uh, and about how he had to move to into essentially a cave. There was this little village where the, the buildings were all like sort of in these concrete bunkers and mm-hmm. how that was really miserable and how uh, he came to become an educator in that community. Uh, meanwhile, in the present, he is kind of exploring who he has become in the present, like his more recent past, his uh, more recent sexual relationships. Turns out he and the actor may have had an affair uh, I don't want to give away too much because the way Mm -hmm. Almodovar meets out information in his movies, it's like big revelations. So it's twist after twist after twist. This is most of his movies. And I feel like I've never seen Almodovar at this 
A, sentimental, but B, at this level of warmth. Mm. And he's a pretty warm filmmaker. He's not cold. (laughs) He's not ever going to emotionally stiff arm. He's really, really passionate and alive and vivacious. But here it feels almost confessional. And having seen Almodovar films, I appreciate that confession. It feels like I'm getting closer to his movies. And not in that, like, self-serving, self-pitying, Fellini sort of way. I was about to say, that's that's Uh, the thing that I was concerned about. Because he's put autobiographical elements in his movies before. Mm. Uh, But once you start, like, really putting, like, close analogs of yourself, Mm. you run the risk of losing, I want to say objectivity, because that's not what art is about, but... Getting your head stuffed up your own butt. Yeah, like, you know? like starting to think that your your own pain is perhaps more interesting than it is. Yeah, and uh, I, I feel I feel that way about Fellini. I, I think he's too self indulgent. Uh, Almodovar, he's not indulgent. He's he's just passionate. He's eager to tell these tell these stories, and the way the plot falls into place is all very interesting. And in, in that Almodovar sort of way, uh, but yeah, here he's really kind of. He's almost, almost like he's hugging the audience. It's hmm. really great to just have have him welcome you in and confess and tell these stories about where his life and where his passions lie. It is touching and beautiful in so many ways. Well, I wish I had yeah. something more to add to that, but it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. I would like to ask you because um, mm-hmm. Antonio Banderas is an actor who I'm actually very fond of. I think he's very, uh-huh. he's very charismatic. Uh, when the role demands it, he can be an excellent actor. Mm. He can also not be great. And I've seen a lot yeah. of really bad Antonio Banderas movies. And in fact, mm. his large part of his more recent career uh-huh. has been straight to video stuff. Yeah. That just uh, And I've seen some of it. Like I'm not like disregarding it just because straight to video. Some very good movies go straight to video. Mm. The movies I've seen from Antonio Banderas are not those movies. Yeah. How is he? Is he no, is he sublime? He, is he? He's, no, he's great. He, oh, that's he, good. He, he's yeah. He's doing sort of quiet and sensitive. I mean, he's he's matured as an actor over the over the years, and I think he was often cast in projects that he didn't know what to do with. A lot of mm-hmm. like his fantasy stuff. Like I've seen Ballistic X versus Sever. I don't mm-hmm. think he really knows what what the heck that kind of movie is. I don't think anybody knows what the heck kind of movie that is. The makers or the people who saw it. <laughs> um, so of course he's not going to give a, perf- a good performance in a film like that he's lost uh here he's working with an assured director who he's known for many years he's matured as a person as well as an actor and he's able to play this kind of wizened reflective aging creative Mm -hmm. very well yeah Mm. I, I cool. recommend it. It's great. <laughs> it's one of the best films of the year. Wow. It's so good. Well, I guess I need to check it out then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, I guess the other, the, uh, there's another movie I, I liked this week, but uh, the other movie I just can wholeheartedly endorse this week uh-huh. uh, is In the Tall Grass. Okay. Uh, In the Tall Grass is an adaptation of a book by Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. Okay. Uh, Joe Hill is his pen name, I think. And it is the story of a brother and sister. She is pregnant, and her boyfriend has decided he doesn't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. So they are driving to San Diego. They're going to fresh new start. Mm-hmm. And they're driving across the country, and they happen to stop. She gets a little queasy mm-hmm. uh, next to a field of very tall grass. Like, okay. you know, like the, like it's, it's corn's as high as an elephant eye, but it's grass. <laughs> the grass is as high. All right. And, uh, you know, at least they get out. She has, you know, a bit mm-hmm. of a uh, uh, bit of it, you know, she throws up. Mm-hmm. And then they hear a small child begging for help in the tall grass. Okay. And the kid says he's lost. 
can't find his way out. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense. Kid couldn't yeah. see above it. Uh, so they call out to the kid. Uh-huh. Kid can't find them. And so they run into the tall grass. And they may never leave <laughs> the tall grass, it turns out. <laughs> okay. Is, um, without going into too much detail, but what you quickly pick up on mm-hmm. is that something supernatural is going on. Okay. And that the tall grass and, the and like, the child's voices and everything, they may be some sort of, like... Bait, like some okay. sort of like uh-huh. like Venus flytrap kind of thing that they've just walked into. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get constantly lost in the tall grass. Uh, the earth and the grass moves around them so that they can like there's there's a cool there's a cool bit where like they decide to jump up at the same time so they can see where where they are, mm-hmm. and they do, and then they do it one more time, and now they're <laughs> in different places. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. So it's oh, that's well, not funny. Just that's that's cool. It's a good gag. Yeah. This is directed and uh, adapted by Vincenzo Natale. Uh-huh. Vincenzo Natale is an excellent horror filmmaker. Uh, he's best known for his 1990s film Cube. Yes. Which is about a group of people who find themselves in a very large cube. Mm-hmm. He managed to make standing inside a geometric shape terrifying. <laughs> That's hard to do. And yeah. you need to be able to work within very limited visual parameters. Mm-hmm. He also made great films. He did uh, this. He did Splice. Splice is an excellent updating of the Frankenstein <laughs> story. Uh, he also did, I think, a very underrated film called Haunter, which is basically like uh, Groundhog Day if you were a ghost. <laughs> nice. Um, it's a very good film. Um, yeah, and in The Tall Grass, it's just like, how do we make grass scary? Well, I've seen Onibaba. Have you seen mm. Kaneto Shindo's Onibaba from 1963? It's, it's a Japanese film. It takes place in feudal Japan. And yeah, it's about a, a mother and a daughter who live in gigantic tall grasses. That's the first shot is these above your head level grasses. And uh, rogue samurai have broken off from all the wars that have ended and they're mm. wandering through these grass. They lure them into a pit where they fall and die and they climb down there, peel off all of their armor and sell it. And that's how they make their living. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, and, and yeah, just the they're con- the waving grass is just sort of a constant presence throughout the movie. You get the impression that the waving grass is like the grass is like talking to other like to itself, uh-huh. like it's whispers. It's not just going whoosh, whoosh. fields of wavering. And like if you listen carefully, you, they, whisper grass. They might be saying the character's name, but maybe they're not. Mm. Um, there's so many ways in which mm. Vincenzo Natale finds to, and and a cinematographer who I, yeah. name I don't have in front of me uh, just finds to make grass terrifying. Mm. That it's very, very impressive. Uh, the actual plot, because it turns out there's other people in the grass mm. and they run into each other, and then they start running into things that make absolutely no sense. The plot goes in directions I didn't expect it to. Mm. Okay. And I think they I think they might have bit off a little bit more than they can chew. Okay. Uh however, it's never dull. Mm. And there are parts of it that are legitimately terrifying. Okay. And what I love about it is that like some some of the things that are scary are things like that doesn't even like. That doesn't even like follow from grass. Like we just we had this like, <laughs> like we've we established there's evil grass and there's at least one person in the evil grass who like thinks the grass is talking to him mm. and he might have gone mad and tried to kill everybody. Right. Stephen King story. What are you gonna do? <laughs> as soon as the as soon as the character starts talking about, uh, you know how much they love Jesus, mm. <laughs> in a Stephen King story, you're yeah. just like, okay, so you're gonna be evil. Got it. Okay, cool. We're, we got something to go with. Um. But, uh, yeah, it, it, anyway, it, it takes it bits of a little bit more than it can chew. Maybe it could have explored some of the topics it brings up later uh-huh. in more detail. It is so expertly crafted from a stylistic perspective. Uh-huh. The actors are very committed to it. 
Okay. Uh, that it, you know, it might not 100% make sense by the end, but it's such a great experience. I wish I could have seen this in a theater. It is a Netflix original. Uh, this should have been a theatrical release. There's so many mm-hmm. bits in it where, like, just your perspective gets warped and you see mm-hmm. images you didn't expect to see that would have played so fucking beautifully on a big screen. <laughs> um, anyway, it's, it's not, like, upper echelon Stephen King adaptation, but it's very good. And it's okay. very scary, and... I and I don't use that word lightly. There's a lot of horror movies that are very entertaining without actually being like, nah. Mm. In the tall grass gets there. Okay. So I highly recommend it. I hope people check it out. That sounds fine. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Anything that reminds me of Oni Baba is not a bad thing. Tell me about Lucy in the Sky. Lucy in the Sky is a, a semi autobiographical story. Again, uh, it's, it's actually a bio, uh, a loose biography of a real life astronaut who made the news a couple years ago when she was pulled over in the truck uh, and the cop, she was pulled over when driving her truck cross country and uh, the cop asked, you know, where are you going? And I think it eventually came out that she's going to see her lover. Mm-hmm. And she was so eager to get there that she was wearing an adult diaper. Yeah. She became known as diaper astronaut. That's all we know about this person now that she's well, been reduced to that. Well, and, the, but, uh, and, and she was planning on doing something. We don't know what she was planning on doing. Arguably, something something perhaps violent. And uh, this uh, this sort of renames the thing, changes the details, but it's that story. Uh, Natalie Portman plays a character named Lucy. She's an astronaut. She uh, has been into space, and when she was in space, she essentially saw God. Yeah, the infinite. Yeah, she she looked out at the infinite and found this new level of sublime intellectual high that she'd never experienced before. Now she's back on Earth, and all she can think is to get back. She needs another hit of that. And, of course, she can't just go back to space. You have to train again, and you have to apply again, and you have to, you know, compete against other astronauts a second time. One of the other astronauts is played by Zazie Beetz. Yeah. Two, two films in the same week for her. That's cool. Yeah, she uh, was in Joker. We didn't she's really in Joker as well, she's, yeah. she's actually that important to the story. <laughs> but, uh, she, uh, ha- you can see that her mind has changed. She's gone a little bit mad with bliss as it were and in order to sort of uh, visualize this the filmmaking is really kind of abstract things aren't necessarily in chronological order some scenes just sort of take place on earth and they're regular but other scenes they kind of like blend music and visuals in this weird sort of way the aspect ratio shifts drastically and rapidly throughout the film uh, when to sort of like Mm -hmm. uh Ex- il- il- illustrate her, illustrate yeah. her, yeah, her changing mind space. Uh, some are like Academy Ratio one three seven. There's a few shots where it's just like a little tiny strip of image across the middle of the screen. Some uh, there's even a few shots I think of like that upright cell phone kind of aspect ratio. Oh yeah, yeah. like um, and like, jury- sh- uh, 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 shoebox format. That's what we're <laughs> I'm going to borrow a term from, from Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. Um, I think they just call it cell phone format, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because she's so eager to get this new high and she starts, uh, flirting with John Hamm. She's married to Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is sort of this playing totally against type is this dippy Christian youth counselor type. <laughs> and, uh, she, uh, meanwhile, John Hamm says, Hey, come into my office, cunnilingus. And, uh, no. Yeah, poor poor Natalie Portman is torn between John Hamm and Dan Stevens. What a poor soul! Oh. I know. What, how t- what torture for her? <laughs> <laughs> it's like what, what what movie was it where it was? Uh, 
it was like young Kurt Russell and young Mel Gibson were standing on either side of, I think it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Was that Tequila Sunrise? I want to say, it was, I think it was Tequila Sunrise. Yeah. The one I was thinking of is, um, This Means War, where Reese oh, Witherspoon is torn between Chris Pine and Tom Hardy. Oh, no. Oh. Also, I mean, without ruining the movie, she totally made the wrong choice. <laughs> like, she picked the wrong guy. After watching that movie, I'm like, who thought this was the good ending? This is the crap ending. Here, tell you what, get Greta, Greg Araki to direct that, then we'll there get the go. ending we want. There you go. I've seen Splendor. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, it, it, I found this to be a... Appealingly peculiar. It is kind oh, okay. of a strange film. It's really unconventional. It doesn't move or crest or climax in any kind of conventional way. It's more about her emotional state than it is about the story. So by the time it gets to the end and she's kind of had a little bit of a snap and she's doing things that are clearly just bonkers, you really understand what sh- what happened to get her there. You're in her mind state this entire time. And that's kind of a fascinating place to be. And that's kind of a difficult thing to pull off. I've seen a lot of films about sort of a, the mental state of a character. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are just turgid and boring. This one makes it a little bit exciting to watch because it's a little bit strange. And I, 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 I really though, appreciate that. I, I worry though, because, uh, and again, I didn't see this one. So mm-hmm. I'm just, just going to ask your take. Cause here's yeah. a concern I had. Uh, about it because I saw the trailer for this movie mm. and I was like, "Oh, that looks kind of interesting about yeah. someone who experiences space and all of its infinite uh, uh, wonder and can't adjust back at home." That's a, that's a topic I haven't really seen dramatized too well. Mm. Um, and then I found out it was based on that story about that woman who allegedly drove across country to try to kidnap somebody. Mm. And I was just like, "Are they doing a disservice to the actual story by making mm. it about?" Just how wonderful and fanciful her mind is, and yeah. how I was concerned it would it would be either facile or trying to transform the real story into something more arguably ep- in poor taste, more more epic than it is. You mean? But perhaps, mm. yeah. Just how how do you feel? Do you feel that it is I, significantly I it, different from the original story? Or do you think that it is going to create in our head an interpretation of the actual mm. story that might be skewed? No, I think it's tasteful. Okay. I, I, yeah, it, it's it's not mocking her at all. In fact, it's deeply sympathetic to her. Mm. That this, I say that it's kind of like peculiar and it's kind of fun to watch, but it's not funny. We're never laughing at Lucy. And, you know, Natalie Portman uh, gives a really good performance as this woman's like kind of coming off the hinges in a really relatable sort of way. And I say coming off the hinges, not in that Joker sort of way where she's just going to go crazy. <laughs> I mean, just she's it's really understandable what she's going through. And there is a, a lot of important sort of feminist language in here. There's a scene late in the film where she's sort of given some bad news and she's accused in that moment of being too emotional. And we can see why she's behaving the way she is, that that's actually not a problem, mm-hmm. and that's something women hear a lot. In yeah. fact, that's that was dialogue from Captain Marvel, if you recall. You're too emotional. She wasn't in that movie. She was actually really cool-headed pretty much throughout that movie. Mm. Like, she didn't go through like this big emotional change. It wasn't like she was some hothead who needed to calm down. She was actually really capable right at the start and was equally capable at the end, just with bigger powers. Uh, here we actually kind of see her 
state of mind, what she experienced, what she's trying to get back to and why she's doing everything she does. And I think it's very understanding. Hmm. It's, it's not trying to objectify or, or mock her or make light of her situation. Well, that sounds good. I've heard very mixed things about this one. So you I'm, seem like you're I'm, more positive I'm than me. in the minority. I know a lot okay. of critics really hated this one. I think because it, it, a, a, it might be too peculiar. Hmm. A, it might be making light of this kind of silly news story. Hmm. But, you know, when I was a kid, Tanya Harding was a silly news story. Yeah, it was this big kind of soap opera scandal and everybody was sort of like snickering at Tanya Harding. Then they made on Tanya and it made me feel sympathy for Tanya Harding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an excellent movie. Excellent movie. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, speaking of Outer Space, mm-hmm. uh, there's a f- new Doom movie. That's right. That nobody knew about. Uh, like, I posted my review. I'm like, they uh, made that? I'm like, yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Um, Doom is a video game. And it is mm-hmm. not the first first-person shooter, but it was the first-person shooter that really broke out the whole genre. Yeah. Uh, before, uh, I believe... I want to mm-hmm. say Castle Wolfenstein was the first, but before then, most video games <laughs> tended to be side-scrollers or text-based. Doom was the one that popularized, like, really popularized the genre of... Mm. The room from, rotates around your perspective. Yeah, as if you're wearing a camera on your head. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you are in uh, the game. And for a long time, this type of gameplay was either almost impossible or the only could only be done with, like, vector graphics that weren't realistic at all. Mm. Doom... Well, like, like, Tron was doing it, but yeah, it was like... Yeah. Or the original, uh, uh, like or, ju- just the line drawing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Doom was it was violent. Mm. It was exciting. It's a good game. It certainly mm. was at the time. I'm sure it's aged poorly now, but like there's just controls yeah, and things. Really but, sensational. Like you could yeah. chainsaw monsters. Yeah, and, yeah. There, there are a lot of people. There's a lot of talk about. Is it too violent for mm. our kids? Well, who says it was made for kids? Um, but um, it was a big, 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 big deal. And the concept was so simple that there was talk for many, many years of turning into a movie before it finally did. And the concept was this. It's mm-hmm. in the future. We have a colony on Mars, and at that colony, we have a scientific installation that opens up a portal. They're trying to, like, teleport yeah, from one place to another. From one planet to another. Yeah. yeah. And then, by opening the portal, they realize they didn't actually teleport anybody. They just opened up the portal to hell. <laughs> Oops. And demons come pouring mm-hmm. out, and the scientists all turn into zombies, and they're monsters that shoot hellfire at you, and floating mm-hmm. heads, and no. it's great. It's, all of that's great. I want to see that movie. It was awesome. And then they made that movie, directed by Andres Bartkoviak in 2005, starring Carl Urban, Rosamund Pike, and Dwayne Johnson. Okay, first off, that's well, a great cast. Rosamund Pike wasn't anyone yet. I think she was, had only starred in Pride and Prejudice up to that point. But that's still pretty in, good. In, in America, that's what she was known uh, for. You know, she was in uh, Die Another Day as well. She was a Bond girl. Oh, was she? Yeah, she was in Die Another Day. She was um, um, uh, Miranda Frost. She was in Die Another Day. All right. She was, okay. she was, yeah. She was the uh, uh, person who seemed like she was on Bond's side, but it turns out she was evil the whole time. Uh, I, I and then, I, I, and then she sword fought Holly Berry to the death. Oh, oh that's right. Yes. I've, I've seen that movie once. It's now. so bad. I just remember Invisible Car and the guy with the diamonds in his face. I, I, I love the entire cast. Andre Barkoviak is not a good filmmaker. I, I wouldn't say he's the worst filmmaker I've ever seen, but I've it's not a very Barkoviak. interesting film. Uh. Um, they managed to. Strip out all of the really cool elements, like the Hellraiser elements of Doom, and make it more of a generic-looking mm. sci-fi thing with some monster stuff in it. Um, there's one at the time very novel shot where Carl uh, Urban takes this like rage medicine to make himself like super <laughs> badass, so he can fight his way through all the monsters. Mm. And then it all takes place from his point of view as he's like wandering the halls, killing people, and it's like, oh, it's kind of mm. like the game. And I'm like, yeah, it's not why we're here. It's kind of a neat shot, though. I'll, I'll give you yeah. that. Um, see, 
Okay. And uh, they changed some stuff from the game. Because I remember, like, Doom came out. Mm. And there was a line in it about, like, it takes place in, like, the year 2045 or whatever. Mm. It's like, and one of the first things in the movie is we have finally mapped the human genome. And I'm like, we did right. that, like, last year. <laughs> like, that's not new. And they're all talking about, like, oh, there's so many mysteries with the human genome. I'm like, mm. why did you not rewrite that? <laughs> that's been solved. Why did you do that? That's so weird. Um, also, the other thing about the original Doom movie, just so you have a sense of, like, where I stand on it. Because I, mm. I was a big fan of the game. Doom 3 was a great game. The most recent Doom that came out was a really great game. Um, Doom, the movie, sucks. Yeah. It's, not the, it's not the worst video game adaptation by far. But it's also derivative and kind of cheap and kind of doesn't make the most of the premise. And also it's really dimly photographed. Yeah, I, I, I remember that from when I saw it. I saw it in theaters, and that's the last I really mm-hmm. wanted to think about it. I did write a review of it for NoHo LA back in the day. It was like 2005. Yeah, I rewatched it recently. It does not, it does not like yeah. get better there, with age. There's, yeah. there's one uh, one unbroken, unedited shot in the movie, yeah. which is told like the video game, where it's all that first-person perspective. Exactly. That's the only good shot in the film. Yeah. Because it's finally exciting, and... It, it's exciting because it looks like a video game. Yeah. Usually that's a criticism. Here it's actually a, the only thing that's good about it. Yeah. So anyway, and this is uh, it's been and, uh, 14 years, and yeah. there's a new one. Okay. Uh, and I imagine it's let's see. I have the the box right here. Right? <laughs> uh, it's it's none of the same cat. Okay. Let no. me let's see. Let me see if I can guess. Okay. It's not a sequel. They're just telling the same story again. Yes. Uh, sort of. I mean, it's, it, it's they're telling really, an origin story. Again. It's a it's really low rent version of the same cast, but the rock character is now like some badass lady marine. Uh, the Carl Urban character is a badass lady marine. Ah, well, kind of missed. Yeah. Um, but there's still one scientist in a, a white coat uh, who one of the characters is going to be infected by a demon. There's going to be talk about one gigantic, really big gun called the BFG, which is from, something from the game. So that's uh-huh. that's not so predictable yeah uh and it's going to end up with uh somebody shooting a monster in the chest as it falls back through a portal into hell and the portal's going to seal up close okay the ending's a little off most right. of the stuff in the middle you got about right All right and there's going to be a lot of shots of like badass marines with these gigantic guns stalking around corridors going around corners really fast and holding up their fists and that's going to take up like maybe 10 minutes of the film and you want it to all end. Did I waste my time watching this movie? Because it sounds like you got the gist of it from the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've seen this movie before. As have I, as have I, as uh. have I. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Uh, Doom Annihilation hits a lot of beats. <laughs> it's a lot of beats, this movie. A lot of things you're going to recall from the game, from other similar movies, from the movies the game ripped off. Oh my god, it's up to Lieutenant Joan Dark. Oh yes! I was about to get to J-O-A-N that. I understand the reference to Jean Dark, as in Joan of Arc, but Joan Dark. Yes. D-A-R-K. Yes. Hey, fuck that's, you. That is, better, that is a better name than the character gets in the Doom video games. What is it like? Doom Guy. His name is Doom Guy? No, he's never had a name. Everyone just calls him Doom Guy. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's different. I know. Like, we can't just call her Doom Doom Gal. Like that would be that would be lame. Well, I mean, uh, wasn't there, there's a character in Marvel Comics named Claw? Ulysses Claw. Ulysses with a K. Claw, yeah. and then he's a bad guy, and he goes by Claw with a K. And then they just sort of changed the spelling when he showed up in the movies. I always wanted to write a Batman story where Batman, like Batman and Robin, is Bruce Batman. No, 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 no. Well, I did, but uh, no, I wanted to introduce like a new villain. Mm. Okay, and uh, it would be like. Um, 
like I don't know. I'm trying to think. It was just some bullshit. Like it's some some candy based villain. Okay. Okay. A candy villain. So like, uh, and her name is Pepper Candyman, and uh, but we don't. We haven't. She hasn't turned evil yet. Okay. So she's just like there to help with some like candy based crime, and then uh, just they meet, and then Robbins uh, finds out her name, and he's just like, oh, crazy name. <laughs> She's like, gonna turn evil, crazy uh, name, and Batman's like, "That's very, very rude." And Robin's like, "You watch, just you watch." <laughs> it's only mattered, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but yeah. soon, and for the rest of her life. Yeah, she's it, it, be stuck. I remember in in uh, Batman Forever, it was so they ran into a character named Edward Nigma, yes, Mister Enigma, uh-huh. and they just didn't really comment on that until the end. Well, well like they, they, like they didn't say like who would have thought that the guy named Enigma would become the Riddler, the Riddler, uh, and they kind of addressed that in Spider-Man Two. Oh yeah. Whereas uh, the character is named Otto Octavius, and he becomes Doctor Octopus. It's like it's like uh, and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Jake Jake said, it's yeah. like he was asking for it. Yeah, yeah. They actually comment on it. Who would have thought a guy named Otto Octavius would become a Doctor Octopus? <laughs> they at least were self-conscious about it at that right. point. Well, look, it's 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 a cutesy little reference. It's not a big deal. Um. Doom Annihilation is, yeah, it's a pretty straightforward. They A bunch of Marines come to the planet Mars. Mars has very recently been overrun by monsters. They stalk around hallways that look like the game. They look very plausible. They look like it's a good-looking set. Yeah. Like, <laughs> All right. No, I mean, it's a good-looking set. I'm, right. I'm dead serious. There's a lot of good-looking sets. There's also yeah. one bit where they're clearly in, like, the basement of a warehouse. Oh, well, I mean, Like, there's, on. like, a sewage plant. And there's a joke that they make. It's just like, this just looks like a sewage plant. Yeah. To which they say, hey, it, they still need Sewage, like they still need like plumbing <laughs> right. in like uh, in these high tech places. How many people are living there? They they're they're all gonna yeah. eat and poop. They, we need we need pipes uh. and all that kind of stuff. But they don't explain why in this sewage plant there's like a chainsaw mounted on the wall, like a fire like a fire hydrant, hmm. like a like a fire extinguisher. I'm just like, how how do you plumb with a chainsaw? <laughs> like what's what purpose does that serve in plumbing? I just want to know. Yeah. I I've always kind of hated like when. A monster attacks like a group of people that are like are ill prepared, and yet they like a, a miners miners or something, and yet they always have something that's kind of like a gun. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do you have a gun? It's like in the thing. Why do you have a flamethrower? Well, I'm looking around my apartment right now. Like, if monsters attacked right now, like mm-hmm. I, we have we have like a frying pan. There's a vacuum cleaner over here. I don't think that would be very good to I've, swing around. I've never really seen. Uh, like a fire axe. That's a movie thing. I've where seen you those can, in like, like wa- big buildings. You can wander down a hallway and just sort of break through glass and have a fire axe to fend off an attacker. Yeah. It, um, it makes more sense if you take the extinguisher off the wall and bash somebody the, over the head with that. Honestly, That's I a think, big hefty I, thing. I'm looking around my apartment. I think the frying pans are best bet. A frying pan? Yeah. It, what kind of frying pan? What it's, brand? It's, it's cast iron. Oh, it's like a cast iron no, skillet. It's a, good, it's a good skillet. Okay. Yeah. We, we, if, you could really hurt someone with that. It's like if, it's, if it's one you got at a grocery store, maybe not. But if it's like one of those really fancy William Sonoma Calphalon, no, it was a gift. It was pretty clad. good. It's okay. pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they they wander around. They kill monsters. Um, most of the time, it actually is a pretty impressive looking production. Like the exteriors, like they spent some money on the CGI to make it look good. Like uh, not like too crappy. Like it's you believe not it? Not too crappy. Well, you know, we've all seen straight to video movies mm. where they didn't spend a lot of money. Here, mm. they spent some money. They made it look like a real movie. It looks kind of nice. Uh, there's one bit in the middle that is so goddamn cheap, though, where they go into like the hydroponics bay because uh-huh. they're in space. You need plants. They're mm. for you know they're cleansing the air and creating more oxygen. And um, it's clear the scene was written 
as though the hydroponics bay was like this hedge maze full of monsters, but they actually only have like two rows of plants. Oh no! So they're trying to cheat it. So there's, there's just keep, <laughs> zombies keep running out behind so this like five in, foot wall of plants. There's an in focus shot of like the marine in the foreground, and you see the shadow dart around behind them. And it, that's that's, yeah. that's a bit more ambitious than they actually got. Oh, it's gosh. basically just they're standing next to this row of of like creeping ivy, and then like a zombie <laughs> runs out from behind and like oh no. <laughs> Okay, we got it. Uh, and then if another zombie runs out, oh no! You say you say that, and I'm picturing like what you would see at a really cheap beach wedding. You're not like wrong. one of those plastic lattices with the plastic ivy on it. Uh, but not so much a lattice, uh, but like yeah, kinda. <laughs> like it's it's pretty cheap. Um, however, it, the whole movie has this kind of like run and gun kind of early Corman vibe. Where like it's in, clear in a the good way or bad way. Good way. That, that in a good way. Good. Okay. Like I'm talking like um, it's not as inspired as Galaxy of Terror, but that uh-huh. kind of level where like we're dealing with broad archetypes. Some of the cast is quite good. Some less mm. so. The 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 bad members of the cast usually get killed out pretty quick. Um, the monsters are actually pretty good. Like a lot of them are just like dudes in rubber suits covered in like KY jelly or whatever. So listen, <laughs> that part's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer a good practical monster. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't call it a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't call well, it, but no, no, of course not. But, but, um, it's a damn sight better than the last Doom. Uh, okay, in, in a very conventional way, but it's a damn sight better. It's very, you know, it's it's respectful to the games. Mm. You know, there's stuff in there you'll recognize. Um, it's handled pretty well. Um, the action's pretty cool. The monsters are pretty cool. Um, it's. You know, middle of the road movie, but I, we've all seen bad video game movies. <laughs> this isn't one of them. Okay, it's just kind of okay. Uh-huh. Uh, which you know, mm. in context with the rest of the genre, makes it seem a little better than perhaps it is. But eh, it's pretty good. Okay, I was very surprised when I tweeted my review of this. Mm. How many people came at me with a uh, you, you So you're saying this one is like better than the original Doom? Uh-huh. The original Doom is good, man. No, it isn't. It kind of isn't. No, it's quite bad, in fact. I'm, I mean, I, I, I... Look, I'm not... Uh, I'm willing to hear a lot of arguments, okay? <laughs> We're I've, very open-minded. I've, I've read a lot of, no, you should reconsider this, essays in my day, and I've had my mind at least confronted, challenged, sometimes even changed. Yeah. I'm not going to hear it about Doom. I'm sorry. Yeah. That is a garbage cheapo video game adaptation film from the mid-2000s with bad special effects and bad performances. I feel, I feel, because the thing is, Doom is like 14 years old now, so we're dealing with people who probably, you know, we grew up with crap, and we probably Mm. like that crap more than we should, because it was what we had when we were young. Well, we can be fond of it and still acknowledge that it's bad. Well, here's my thing. I just want to apologize on behalf of the entire entertainment industry to everyone who grew up with Doom, the movie, Mm. To the extent that it's like part of your childhood identity now, and you liked it, yeah. like that sucks. We we well, failed, we, and it's not my fault. I wasn't yeah. a critic at the time. I wasn't warning people away. I have no control over the industry, but I feel like the industry failed a generation. If like this is something that we're like <laughs> latching onto, is well, like can, this was pretty yeah. good. Well, consider the crap we're trying to. Our generation is trying to push on the next. Yeah. It's like the greatest thing of ever. Transformers, for God's sake. Uh, remember when we we you and I have spent numerous hours talking about how Mortal Kombat, the 1995 film, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's not great. It's, it's hardly even good. It's, it's, it's better than other it's stuff. It's pretty bad. Yeah. And, and that that film, Mortal Kombat, has taken up so much of our breath and our time 
kind of speaks to where we were coming from as film fans. Well, it's just it's just it for many like we, years. We weren't paying we're attention to now, the great films that were coming out in 1995. Well, the thing is, Mortal Kombat was for many years, and I think mm. we're past it now. But for many years, Mortal Kombat was like the only video game movie that like remotely watchable. <laughs> well, you could you could say that there's like dumb fun to be had with Street Fighter the movie and Super Mario Brothers, mm. but they're not like good. Mm. Mortal Kombat is at least doing what it said it was going to do. We're going to be a fight movie. It's going to be a Saturday matinee for 13 mm. year olds. No, okay, do, you did it. I, it cool I, cool costumes. A, there's a, a really cool practical monster. The scorpion not, yeah. fight's pretty cool, but like other than that, like you didn't really mm. excel. But you set the bar low and you hit it. Is it the scorpion fight where he like pulls off his face and he's yeah. got a skull underneath and he breathes fire? Yeah, that's that's the highlight of the movie. I think that's because you got two people who can fight and what a corny, some fun choreography. What a wonderful corny flick. Yeah, it's no DOA dead or alive. Nothing is. <laughs> That's a fun movie. Fair enough. I'll tell you. Anyway, I have no animosity towards Doom Annihilation. They were given, hey, can you do a big sci-fi monster movie on a low budget? Hmm. Uh, yeah, we can, actually, and it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Right. Uh, what, do, what have you got next? I saw Low Tide. Tell uh, me about Low, low Tide. Tide. Low Tide's a little indie flick. Uh, it is about a group of young boys living in New Jersey. They, they uh, Their favorite hobby, I say young boys, they're like uh, teenagers, like seven, like 15 to 20. They uh, stalk up and down the Jersey Shore, breaking into houses and robbing people. That's mm. their hobby. And they are there are protagonists. They rob people. It's not seen as necessarily a horrendous infraction, but these are not good kids. We spend a lot of time with them, about, and we spend a lot of time in their world, and there's a lot of time spent just sort of hanging out with these kids, figuring out the way they talk, mm. the way they communicate with one another, the way they plan these heists. That is to say, they don't really plan these heists, they just sort of <laughs> do it because they're bored, and they also because they need money. Uh, they go to a fair, they all go girls, they have conversations with girls, they go out to the beach, they just sort of talk, and these moments are actually really kind of great. Um, it's very nostalgic. This is aided by the fact that one of the actors is played by one of the kids from it. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the main guy who grew up in, grew up to be James McAvoy. Yeah, I, I, know, the, I, forget, I forget the, the name, I know you're talking um, about him. But yeah, he's, he's also in low tide and, uh, event. And you think this is going to be sort of like a really naturalist crime movie until you realize that they're, they, in one of their heists, they break into a house and they find a little satchel full of pirate gold. What? Like a little little string bag full of like little rough Spanish doubloons. Did they test it to see if it's chocolate? No. But they do take it to uh, like a pawn shop. It's like we found this one coin. And the guy's like, hmm. Yeah, I'll give you $1,000 for this coin. <laughs> you can see them trying to go, not, like not to freak out. Like, okay. <laughs> Like, how do you know it's real gold? Well, see when I bit it? See how it rubs off like that? That's real gold. Holy shit. We got like a thousand of those things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of the story is them like trying to hide the pirate gold and they bury it in the woods and they're on the run from the law. And it all starts to feel very hardy boys <laughs> in terms of its story. Its tone is more like mud. What? In that it's, yeah, really kind of bleak and weighty and... A little bit dirty, like it has dirt on it. Like you can see that these kids need desperately need a bath. Uh, the law is on their heels, but the law is not like some sort of otherworldly force, like in Psycho or like in a Stephen King story. It's actually a real human cop that they know. He's a guy from their neighborhood. A lot of this is a very neighborhood-oriented type of, of flick. Uh, 
and when it goes into the Hardy Boys territory, it's a little bizarre. Uh, because, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe there was some sort of incident sometime at, at some point in real life history where a house robber broke into an abandoned house and found some, like, unbelievably valuable treasure. Sure. And they made off with, like, a golden scepter or, like, the cross <laughs> of Coronado. Uh, and And it feels so artificial and so adventuresome. And these kids are, like, really having a good time with this that... For fits and starts, you think you're watching an adventure film, mm. when really it's this kind of dark, almost dour film about how crime is eroding these kids and how they'll eventually turn on each other and there's going to be gun f- there's bleeding certain, and gunshots. There's certain plot points where even if they're plausible or, or, or even if they're not, you just put them in your movie and all of a sudden your movie's a different movie. Yeah. You know, and then you put, it, you put in pirate treasure. Mm-hmm. That's a cartoon. Yeah. I know there's actual pirate treasure out there. No, mm-hmm. no one's pretending that there isn't, but... You're evoking cartoon. Yeah. At yeah. best, you're evoking a pirate movie. <laughs> you know, like you're evoking Goonies. You know, like it's that's that's what you got. Yeah, Go- Goonies is a good analog. It's like the plot of Goonies with the tone of mud. And that's a really bizarre place to be. I'm not sure I even want to see that. I enjoyed watching it for, you know, okay. it's capably put together. Uh, but yeah, it's just a kind of a strange animal. Weird. All right, uh, well, uh, the last one we're going to be reviewing this week is a new drama. Uh, it is called Semper Fi. Uh, it is from Henry Alex Rubin, the director of the documentary Murder Ball. Okay, um, I've seen that. Yeah, uh, it is a narrative feature. It stars Jai Courtney and Nat Wolf. Not to be confused with Alex Wolf from Hereditary. Mm-hmm. Nat Wolf is his brother. He starred in Paper Towns. Yeah. They I, look they, so much they alike. They look really I, similar. I, I spent the them. whole movie thinking I was watching an Alex Wolf movie. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out Nat Wolf also a really great actor. Yeah, like, I'm oh, not, no, he's terrific. I'm yeah. not super high on this movie, mm-hmm. but as a Nat Wolf showcase, this is a really good showcase. <laughs> um, it takes place in the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Nat Wolf and Jai Courtney are brothers. Jai Courtney is the older brother. His his younger brother is like under his care, and he had some run-ins with the law. He's got a couple of felonies under his uh, mm-hmm. under his belt. But his brother pulled some strings, and now they are both getting on track, and they're both part of the uh, Marine Corps Reserves. Okay. And at the beginning of the movie, you know, there's some animosity there. You always tell me what to do. I'm trying to make something of myself. You know, the usual brother stuff. Uh, They're about to get called up to go to Iraq. Mm. And, like, the night before they're about to ship out, or, like, one of the nights where they're about to ship out, they're all, like, partying. They're going to a bar with their friends. Nat Wolf is, you know, trying to trying to chat up some ladies. <laughs> and when he leaves to go get some drinks, some other guy comes in and starts talking to him. At which point, he, he's talking to some random dude at the bar who I guess he knew. Mm-hmm. And he just says, oh, I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> Never say that under any circumstances. <laughs> because if there's, <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from movies, mm-hmm. it, it movies uh, it, in movies, just like Twitter... Uh, yeah, inflection is not important. In the in the trial, when you just say like, "Oh, yeah," he said he was going to kill him. They're not going to add, and it was obviously sarcasm. <laughs> They're just going to say the actual words. It's like, um, you know, like a lot of Republicans right now are saying that uh, you know Donald Trump didn't actually say quid pro quo because he didn't actually use the words in exchange so, so it for yeah. So it doesn't count. So it course, doesn't count. Right. That's like if you were on trial. For like being part of like a mafia, mm-hmm. and someone just said, "So these people were uh, 
So you, the people said you threatened uh-huh. their uh, their convenience store. Like, you well, said actually, well, all I yeah. said was it, it would be. It's a, a nice place. It would, it's a nice place. It would be a pity if something were to happen to it. That's the that's a nice thing to say. Case closed. Uh-huh. Like no, you don't just don't say that shit. So he gets into like a bit of a kerfuffle with them. They end up in a little fight in the bathroom, and that wolf punches a guy, and the guy falls over, and he hits his head on a urinal, and he dies. Ah, great. And it sucks. So that wolf, especially for that guy. Oh yeah, it sucks for everybody. Every no one's getting out of this mm-hmm. one, okay? Uh, and because he had said that to that guy, what should have been clear a clear case of at worst manslaughter mm-hmm. uh, and possibly self defense, he did not start the fight. Uh, ends up putting him in jail for twenty five years in maximum security. <laughs> And his brother can't do anything about it right away because he's just getting shipped off. Um, so he goes to, to to war and he comes back and he finds out that his brother refuses to, to accept visitations from Jai Courtney because he blames mm-hmm. Jai Courtney for everything. And uh, and on top of it all, he's being abused by the guards. Great. So Jai Courtney is filled with incredible guilt. The movie is briefly great in the middle. When Jack right. Courtney finally, like, he, he piggybacks off of someone else's visitation. Mm-hmm. Like, he just says, my brother won't see me. Would you go visit him and I can just come in with you? And then he does. There's, like, two or three confrontations where Nat Wolf is in prison and he's just throwing back every decision Jack Courtney made. And you realize, we've been seeing this from Jack Courtney's perspective, Nat Wolf has great arguments for why Jack Courtney <laughs> failed him. Okay. Like, really great. Mm-hmm. Jai Courtney is not con- typically considered a great actor. In that scene, opposite Nat Wolf, they're really good. Oh, that's and, gr- and that's kinda, surprising. I wish the whole movie. Uh, J- Jai Courtney has has yet to impress me. Uh, it's me. I'm not going to say he's bad. He's just he's fine. Sure, he's just, I think I think he gets a lot of boring roles. Is the problem? He's he's, he's one of those guys who's really burly and tough, mm. and he gets a lot of burly tough guy roles. Mm. And those aren't very interesting roles. They yeah. are, and it turns out he can act if he gets a good role. And when he's in those scenes with Nat Wolf. I kind of want the whole movie to just be that. I just want to see them work out their obviously complicated relationship. Mm. Problem is, the movie isn't as interested in that as I am. The movie is more about how Jai Courtney feels bad, and will he or will he not, Semper Fi means always faithful. Mm. Remain always faithful. Will he do what he has to do and possibly try to break his brother out of prison? Mm. The plot is perfunctory and really simple, like you could get through the whole thing on like two cue cards mm-hmm. and the movie thinks it's the most important part. It's not. I care about these characters and what they're going through. Um, there's a supporting cast who is completely wasted. Leighton, uh, uh, is it Leighton Meester? Leighton Meester? One of the, one of the Meesters. Yeah, Leighton Meester is in this. <laughs> one of the Meesters. There's gotta be more than one Meester <laughs> out there, right? Well, Leighton Meester mm-hmm. is in this. I don't know why. I mean, I, I've never really been particularly amazed by Leighton Meester as an actor, but she deserves better than this. She shows up in one bar scene, and she says, like, yeah, I think the war is stupid. And all the Marines are like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. And then, like, she comes back later, and, like, one of the guys has, like, his leg blown off in the war, and it's very sad. And mm. then it's just like, maybe she'll date him. I don't know. And I'm like, why are you here? You're, <laughs> you're too big a name for so small a role. It's like when you're watching that movie Lion. With Dov Patel and Nicole Kidman. I never actually saw Lion, but yeah. It's a good movie. It's not amazing, but it's, you know, red, it'll hit your heartstrings real hard. Like, in the last, like, quarter of a movie, Dov Patel ends up in a relationship with a woman who has almost nothing to do with the plot, but she's played by Rooney Mara. After <laughs> she was Rooney Mara, after she got an Oscar nomination. Somebody really recognizable. And you're just like, why are you here? You deserve a better role than this. Like, it's so weird. 
Um, anyway, it's not a complete wash. Um, if this kind of familial drama sounds like it's up your alley, especially if you like, you know, you, you like seeing stories of soldiers dramatized on film. You know, we're living in a generation where for the last 20 years, a lot of people know people in the military, are in the military, a family in the military. And we've seen a lot, like a big spike of mm. stories that take people in whose lives in the military are taken really, really seriously. Uh, sometimes a little fawning for my taste, but seriously, mm. and that's good. This is not a bad version of that. It's just kind of boring, and it like it doesn't like. I think it it's so convinced that the plot of Will Jai Courtney break Nat Wolf out of prison or won't he that it misses the fact that the most interesting thing is the characters, uh, and that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, because it's not yeah. a bad movie, but it just it's it's misguided, it's misplaced. Nah, that's too bad. All right. Well, anyway, uh, so on the critically acclaimed scale, again, I remind you, it's C minus to C plus. Mm-hmm. With C being an average movie, yeah. C minus being below average, everything from not very good to the worst movie ever, and C plus being above average, everything from pretty darn good to the best movie ever. Uh-huh. I'm going to give Semper Fi a C. All right, it's a low C. Um, I think I, ultimately my review was like rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's not a passionate one. It's just All right. the performances are good enough that it's not worth writing off completely. Okay. Uh, you reviewed a thing. Low Tide. Low that, Tide. That's the one you're looking for. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to low go in reverse t- order. Right. Low, low Tide is a C. Uh, okay. there, there's it's it's you know good acting and good uh, good atmosphere, uh, mm. just kind of weird story. Yeah. Uh, Doom Annihilation uh, is a C. Uh, if this was a theatrical really surprise, if this was a theatrical release, it'd be a C minus just because you know it's mm. it's on the cheaper side or whatever. But mm. in the lower expectations straight to video realm, this is a pretty good straight to video movie, and it is at the nothing else better than the other Doom, provided that your assessment for what makes a good Doom movie isn't all macho all the time. Like if you mm. actually like stuff like you can tell what's going on and. Uh, some of the characters are kind of cool and interesting. Yeah, then it's slightly better than that. Um, <laughs> let's see, Lucy in the Sky. Uh, Lucy in the Sky, a C plus. Oh, I, I just, I just really enjoyed this one. Fair enough. Uh, in the Tall Grass, uh, very scary. Plot gets a little off the rails, but that doesn't really hurt it. It's a C plus. It's a very, very, mm-hmm. very good Stephen King adaptation. Uh, and then lastly, Joker. Oh, sorry, Pain and, uh, Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory, C+. Yeah. Plus. yeah. One of the best films of the year. Please go see it. I almost missed please, it. Please see it amazing. I don't know, I almost it's amazing. That. All right, and then finally Joker. And Joker is, is a low C. It's, yeah. not, it's not so awful. Like, it's not one of the worst of the year. I'm not I'm not saying it's doing anything horribly irresponsible. I think a lot of the, the concern is unwarranted about, like, re- about think, its how it reflects things in real life. I think and it's the, reductive about mental illness. I think that's, that, sure. I think that's a disservice. That's, yeah. that's at, at best, a little irresponsible. That, that part's a little irresponsible, but mm-hmm. the whole thing about inciting incels to violence conversation is is not part of this. I was it's, in a theater, and there's a scene right there's a bit right towards the end where mm-hmm. Joker does something really shocking and horrifying, mm-hmm. and there was at least one person who cheered him on in the theater, and I was just oh, like, well, that's, that's a, not that's, a good. That's a little scary. I think, what we're, I think people are like, oh, will it inspire whatever? Mm-hmm. I think people are used to. Living in a world in which people saw Fight Club and thought Tyler Durden was actually cool. Well, we live in a world where movies constantly depict violence as something heroic, and it's it doesn't matter what kind of violence it is. All violence is seen as strength, and that's kind of a pity. I think when the movie's trying to be taken seriously, though, and not be like ultra-broad, like John Wick, mm. that violence has a different tone. Exactly. But that's a different yeah. conversation. It's a conversation for another time. Mm. Um, I, I'm really torn on this, because my initial reaction from seeing Joker was... Uh, Hmm. You know, there's stuff I like about it. 
Again, yeah. I think it's well shot. The music's really great. Aesthetically, it's just fine. Walking yeah. Phoenix is good. It'll always been better in other things. Every day that passes, though, the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, what a wasted opportunity! Like to actually yeah. do and say something really interesting. And I think they just they they got the look of a good movie, but then they mm-hmm. slacked off on actually making it a really good movie. Yeah. So I'm gonna give it a high C minus. Like it's definitely, I don't think it's the worst movie of the year, but I'm actually going to give it time though. Okay. I mean, I definitely not the worst movie of the year, but like I'm going to give it time to see if it would end up on my worst of the year list okay. because it's getting worse every day as okay. I remember it. Uh, but I, I suspect I suspect it might plateau soon. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it, it's not a passionate C minus, but I don't think it really works on its own merits. Mm. But that said, I totally get why people like it. I just think there's better material out there, and I hope you seek it out. Okay. Uh, so uh, those are the movie reviews for the week, and um, yeah, under the new format and critically acclaimed, we're done. That's it. That's <laughs> Normally, we'd stick around for an hour and do other shit, but we're going to do that in another podcast. We're going to have a letters episode, mm-hmm. uh, other discussions for the day. Yeah, and uh, of course, stick around on the critically acclaimed network because we also have cancel too soon coming up real, real soon. We're just about to record an episode about the horror series Mistress of Suspense. Is an anthology show hosted by Anthony Perkins of Psycho fame. Uh, and all of the stories are based on the works of Patricia Highsmith, mm-hmm. who wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley, who wrote Strangers on a Train, and who wrote the original story that the Oscar-nominated film Carol is based on. Uh, Anthony Perkins notwithstanding, it is one of the most British things... <laughs> You'll ever encounter. It's very British, and uh, I can't wait to introduce oh, no, you to it. We can't be impolite. The suspense. <laughs> but we'll get to that. We'll get to that real, real soon. Uh, if you want to write in for our letters show, uh, you can write us in at letters at critically acclaimed.net. Uh, if you want to contribute on Patreon, we, of course, would appreciate it. You get a bunch of exclusive bonus content. Uh, and uh, you can go to patreon.com slash critic acclaim. You can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim, and I myself am at William Bibiani. And I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to purchase a copy of my radio show, The Tenth Muse, uh, contact me via social media. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Just send me a DM, say I'm interested in buying it. You can send me PayPal or Venmo, and I can email it to you post-haste. That's the way that works. And if if you're a $20 Patreon, uh, you'll get it. And it's an exciting time to be alive. Oh, and if you uh, join the $20 Patreon... Uh, it's it's there. You can download it anytime once you join and go to the $20 uh, uh, tier. Uh, so just give it a search and you should be fine. Mm. Uh, next week on Critically Acclaimed, we'll be reviewing a bunch of movies. What are the odds? We're going to be reviewing the new animated version of The Addams Family. We're going to be reviewing the new Ang Lee clone thriller Gemini Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, we're gonna hey, look. Ang Lee can do any whatever he wants. As far as I'm concerned, he wants to try all this weird stuff. Go for it. Uh, we're gonna be reviewing uh, the new Bong Joon Ho film Parasite. We're gonna be reviewing the new Gary Oldman horror movie Mary, and we're gonna be reviewing the sequel to the best movie I have ever seen about street dancing and violinists teaming up to take on the, the bourgeoisie. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's called High Strung Free Dance, and I cannot wait to get to it. Uh, so all of that's coming up on the very next Critically Acclaimed. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please stick around. We've got a bunch of cool stuff coming on the Critically Acclaimed Network. And never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>